Welcome to the Grace Long Beach Podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Exodus 3, 1 through 15. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take up your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest. For those of you who do not know him, it's my pleasure to introduce you to uh, Don Sanukian. Don has had uh, warm connections to this church for many years. He has had three daughters who have faithfully uh, been a part of this community. And I think 17 or 20 
or 30 grandchildren, somewhere in there. Don was one of my professors in seminaries, professor of preaching, and um, he gave me the lowest grade I got in seminary. <laughs> but I learned, I learned a lot from him about how to speak clearly and um, have a good stage presence and things like that. So... Um, I, I highly respect this man. I respect his passion for our Lord Jesus, his devotion to the gospel, and his commitment to excellence. So how wonderful it is for you to be here this morning with us, Don. Thank you. Thanks, Will. If that's the best I can do, I better start looking for another job. <laughs> Seriously, we, we have had just tremendous uh, students from Grace come to, to Talbot. They've just been excellent. I, I learned last week that Jake is thinking about coming, and I said, well, you better not break the string and mess it up. Uh, it's just been just superior people that have come from grace. Shakespeare wrote a play called Romeo and Juliet. And the play is about two young people who fall in love. Their names are Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> but these young lovers have a problem. The problem is their last names. Because Romeo is a Montague. Juliet is a Capulet. And these two families, the Montagues and the Capulets, are deadly enemies. They have been warring against each other for generations and these two families will never let their young lovers come together because of their last names. And in one scene in Shakespeare's play, Juliet, in desperation, says, What difference does it make what his name is? What difference does it make what anything's name is? What's in a name? That which we call a rose, by any other name, would smell as sweet. What difference does it make what a name is? And in desperation or frustration, she says, Romeo, you're not my enemy, only your name is. Change your name. Or if you won't, I'll change mine. Tis but thy name that is my enemy. Thou art thyself, not a Montague. Be some other name. Or deny thy father. Refuse thy name, or if not, but be my love and I'll change my name. I'll no longer be a Capulet. What's in a name? Unfortunately for these young lovers, their name will lead to tragedy. What's in a name? Names have meaning. My last name has meaning. My last name, Sanukian, is composed of two words in the Armenian language. Sanuk and Im which is the Armenian way of saying son of. 
If you ever see I-A-N at the end of a name, it's going to be probably an Armenian name. Are there any Armenians out there with I-A-N in the end of their name? <laughs> that aren't related to me? Uh, a lot of languages have a way of indicating son of. In Hebrew, the word ben, ben-gurion, ben-judah. That's son of, son of Gurion. Mac, MacArthur, MacTavish, MacAndrew. Uh, in the Norwegian, Norse languages, Jacobson, Anderson, uh, Leifson. In uh, the Armenian, Sanukian. So I am a son of a Sanuk. And the word Sanuk has meaning. According to my father, a sunuk is a bone setter. So I am a son of a bone setter. We would say orthopedic chiropractic. As my father explained it in the old country, a bone setter was halfway between a barber and a surgeon. <laughs> he could do more than cut your hair, but he couldn't cut into your skin. So I am a son of a sunuk. Names have meanings. Most of our last names have some historical meaning. Parents like to think somehow that maybe the first names also have meaning because when a baby is coming, they, they look through baby books and they see all the different names and they see what whoever wrote the baby book says that this first name means. Most of the first names, the meanings are a bit suspect. <laughs> Except for one of them. I have learned this one truly does have a meaning. <laughs> I kid you not. You look it up. You look it up in the baby books. That's what it'll be. When you come to the Bible, the names even have greater meaning. They even have a deeper significance. Take the name Isaac. That was the name given to the child born to Abraham and Sarah. When God came to Abraham and told him he was finally going to have a son with his wife Sarah, even though he was a hundred years old and she was 90. When God said that to Abraham, the Bible says Abraham laughed. God said to him, as for Sarah, your wife, I will bless her. I will surely give you a son by her. And Abraham fell face down on the ground and said, you got to be kidding. He laughed. Will a son be born to a man who is 100 years old and a wife who is age 90? But a year later, just as God promised when that boy came, the Bible says that Abraham laughed again and he named his child he laughs. The Lord was gracious, as he had said, and the Lord did for them what he promised. She became pregnant and bore a son at the old age, just as God promised, and he gave the name to him, Isaac. He laughs. The name Moses means drawn out, because that's the name Pharaoh's daughter gave him. She says, I have drawn him out of the Nile. And God would use that baby to draw Israel out of Egypt. 
The names have meaning, deep meaning, deep significance, sometimes so significant that a person's name is changed because something happens to that person. They become different and they need a different name. They need a new name to reflect what they are and what they have become. The name Jacob, the name given to him at birth, Yaakov, means heel grabber. Heel grabber, because when he, as his twin brother Esau was the first to be born, right after they pulled Esau out of the womb, there was the hand of Jacob holding on to Esau's heel as though he wanted to say, no, you get back in here. I want to be first. I want the primacy in the family. And for all of his life, that's what he was, a heel grabber, a manipulator a shrewd con man, a hustler. But one day, one night later in life, all alone he wrestled with God through the night, and God broke him. And from then on, forever he was different, and God gave him a new name, Israel, power with God. Abraham started out with the name Abram, which means father. But for a hundred years, no child. And God said to him, you are not only going to have a son, you are going to be the father of millions. You're going to be the ancestor of millions, the father of many nations. And God changed his name to great father. Names have meaning. They have significance. And in the Bible, when you come across the names of gods of the nations, all of the gods of the nations have a name, and those names have meaning. The god of the Canaanites, his name is Baal Sibyl. The god of the Philistines is Dakin. Babylonians worship Marduk. The god of the Moabites is Moloch. And the god of Israel has a name also. I'll come to that in just a minute. These names have meaning. To the people who worshipped them, they knew that this name had significance. The Canaanites worshipped Baal-zebul, and in the Canaanite language, that means the Lord Prince. Israel sometimes, to mock these false gods, they would sometimes change a letter. And when you change the letter, you change the meaning of the name. So they would change the L to a B, and they'd come out with Lord of the Flies. Or if they really wanted to mock the god, they would change it to Baal Lord of the... Put whatever word you want in there, okay? The names have meanings. And when you come to Israel's God, he has a name. His name is not God. That's what he is. He is God. He is the supreme deity. He is the creator of the universe. He is the true God. But our God has a name. And that name tells us something about him. That tame name tells us what we can count on. It describes him. It tells what he will be to us. Our God's name is Y-W-Y-H-W-H. When you read the Old Testament in Hebrew and you come across those four, that's 
called the Tetragrammaton. That's the name of our God. You say, but there are no vowels. That's true. The Hebrew language has no vowels. The entire Old Testament is written in nothing but consonants. You say, how can they read it? Well, that's not too difficult. If you're familiar with the language, if you've grown up in a language, if you speak the language day by day, you can look at consonants and pretty much figure out what vowels go in there. If I put this in, you're familiar with English, and you look at it a little bit and you say, yeah, I think I can read that. God will deliver this. Oh, no, God will deliver those who trust in him. And because of your familiarity with the language, you can pretty much figure it out. And the Jews, when they read their Old Testament scriptures in their synagogues and the Sabbath services, their familiarity with the language enabled them to read through the consonants without any difficulty. But as the centuries went on and the Jews dispersed into foreign countries, and as they learned foreign languages and their native Hebrew language began to disappear over the centuries, when they came to their synagogue services on Sabbath, Saturday, they could no longer read the Hebrew language. And so the rabbis, to help those who no longer knew Hebrew, to help them know how to pronounce what they were reading in the consonants, the rabbis put vowels underneath the consonants to help those who were not familiar with the language say, okay, God will deliver, yeah, those who... And do that. And so when the rabbis came to the four letters that are God's name, they put underneath it these vowels. Okay? And English readers who just didn't quite know what the rabbis were doing except putting some vowel sounds under this name thought, oh, I guess the way you say God's name is Yahovah. Yahovah. Oh, yeah, Jehovah. And that's the word we thought was God's name for a long time, and it shows up in our songs. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. I'll stop. But what we didn't realize was that A-O-A were not the vowel sounds that went with those four letters. The rabbis thought those four letters... The the real name of God was so sacred, so holy, it should not be pronounced. It should not be said publicly. It should not be read out loud. And so the rabbis put the vowel sounds of another word under those four letters. They put the vowel sounds of the word Adonai, which is the Hebrew word for master. And God was often referred to as my Adonai, my master. So it was a way of referring to their God, but it wasn't his name. Since then, we have learned that the real vowel sounds that go under those four letters are these, and that God's name is Yahweh. That's his name. But what does it mean? What is the significance of that name? 
What are we to understand about our God by him telling us, that's my name? The passage that we read a few minutes ago is a place where Moses has to ask God, what is your name? I don't know you. You say you're the God of our ancestors. That's been 400 years. The Hebrew people have been slaves in the land of Egypt for 400 years. We've lost all touch with who you are. We don't know you. What is your name? The time when Moses has to ask that is after Israel has been slaves for 400 years. Those 400 years started out pretty good. Joseph went down the first. He rose to be the number two man in Egypt, and he brought his father and his brothers and their families down to protect them from a famine that was going on in Canaan. The Hebrews in Egypt began to multiply over the centuries, 400 years. They multiplied and multiplied and multiplied, and the population explosion of the Hebrew people was so great that the Egyptian rulers began to fear they will take over the land. They will join with our enemies, and they will take over the land. And so to curb that population explosion over the centuries, the Egyptian pharaoh finally decided, we have to put a stop to this. And his attempt to do it first was he was going to force them into slave labor, thinking that maybe the exhaustion and the separation would cut down the birth rate. But it didn't. Because God was determined to make them into a great nation and to take them into their own land. And when slave labor didn't cut down the birth rate, he adopted a policy of genocide. And he sent out the order to all of his people, every baby Hebrew boy that is born, every boy, kill it. But God would not be stopped. And within a few months, The baby Moses, by his mother, was put in a basket and floated down to where he would be drawn out by Pharaoh's daughter and eventually draw Israel out of Egypt. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house, trained, educated in Pharaoh's house. But the affliction of his people continued. One day when Moses was out, he saw an he, a Egyptian taskmaster mercilessly beating a Hebrew. And Moses could not stand it, and he attacked the man. And somehow his blow killed the Egyptian. And Moses looked around, fearful. Did anybody see this happen? And he, he dragged the body away, and he buried it into the sand, because even with his high position in the land, you can't kill an Egyptian citizen But apparently, nobody was aware. Except that the next day when he was out, he saw two Hebrews fighting. And one of them was thrashing the other. And Moses went up and said, why are you doing that? And the man said, you're going to kill me like you did the Egyptians yesterday? And all of a sudden, Moses knew the thing is known. Somebody saw it. And he had to flee Egypt. He went out into the wilderness area and he joined himself to a clan of shepherds. 
he married among that clan. And as the decades went on, he had children. He was out there in that wilderness for 40 years. A different life than a life in Egypt. Isolated, quiet, alone on the hillsides with the sheep. One day as he was on a hillside, he saw in the distance there was a a bush that was burning. He watched it. It was burning, burning, and burning. But it didn't seem to burn up. He thought, this is curious. And he said, go take a look. And he went and he looked and sure enough, the bush is continually burning, but there is no damage. And then all of a sudden, out of the bush of both voice, Moses, Moses! Take off your shoes, this is holy ground. And he took them off. And the boy said, I am the God of your ancestors. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of I, I'm the God of Jacob. And I have seen the affliction and misery of my people in Egypt, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send you back to Pharaoh, and you're going to draw them out of Egypt. And Moses said, no, 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 no. I haven't been, I haven't been in Egypt for 40 years. I, I don't have any connection with Egypt anymore. I can't do it. I can't do it. And God says, I am going to be with you. And you are going to bring the people out of Egypt to this very mountain where they will worship their God. And that's when Moses says, Who are you? We don't know you. What is your name? They're going to ask me that if I go there. They're going to say, who is our God? What is his name? What is there about him that we should commit ourselves to him or look to him for anything? What significance does his name have? And God reveals the deep meaning of Yahweh. A name of great meaning for Moses and for Israel and for us. I meant to say earlier that the name Yahweh, when it appears in our scriptures in the Old Testament, when you're reading it, very few of our English translations actually use that name. I wish they did. I've taken when I'm reading my Old Testament at home, uh, not my English Old Testament, I, I come across capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the way most of our English translations put the word Yahweh, all capitals. And so when you're reading, O Yahweh, when you see it all capitals, they're talking about the name of God, okay? Arise, O Yahweh, all right? It might help you as you read your, your English Bible that when God is referred to, look at the, look at the word and the letters, If you see all capitals in the Old Testament, that is the personal name of God. If you see just capital L, capital O-R-D, that's Adonai. And if you just see the word God, that's the Hebrew word Elohim, which means supreme deity. 
Okay? So when you read, look at to see how the, the letters are, and you'll have a sense of what's happening. But his name is Yahweh. What is the significance of that name? Let's turn to the passage that we read. Exodus chapter 3. If you're using the Bible under your seat, it's page 46. Exodus 3, page 46. I'll give you time to locate it. Exodus 3, page 46. In the conversation, Moses eventually says in verse 13, Exodus 3, verse 13, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel, and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, Yeah, yeah, Yahweh, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this also to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, Yahweh, I am, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is the significance of my name for the rest of time. Thus I am to be remembered, I am to be known by all generations by this name, Yahweh, I am. A strange name, I am. What is God saying? What is the significance to you and to me of God revealing himself as I am? God is saying, I am. Where I am the one who is always there. I am the one who is always present. I am in every situation in your life. I am. I am wherever you are. I am whatever you need. God is saying to you, I am am with you in every situation. When you walk up to the doors of a new and unfamiliar school, God says, I am here with you. And he walks through the doors with you and goes into the classroom and when you take your seat at a desk, He stands by your desk and he says, I am here with you. When you stay late at at work at the business you've started and you open the books and you see red ink and you wonder what is to be done, he puts his hand on your shoulder and he says, 
I am with you in this. When you go to meet a prospective client, when you interview for a new job, he's in the room. When you move to a new city, he goes with you. When you stand beside the bed of somebody you love who is, who is dying, his voice says to you, I am the God of resurrection. I am the God of restored life. I am the God of eternal life. I am the God of joy for eternity. When you have been betrayed by somebody you love, you trusted. When you've been abandoned by somebody you loved, he takes your face in his hands and he looks at you and he says, I will never leave you. I, I will never forsake you. I am always faithful. I am always with you. I will love you forever. My friend, God, as forcefully and as compellingly as he can say, I am whatever you need. I am wherever you are. I am. I am in any situation in your life. I am. This morning, as we conclude, I would like to give you a chance to go quietly and privately into his presence and to speak to him whatever is the burden of your heart, whatever is troubling your soul, whatever it is, whatever situation in your life right now that is concerning you, I would like for you to have a chance to go into his presence and speak it to him and say, Lord, here it is. And then I would like for you to just sit quietly until his voice says to you, I am with you in it. Take the time right now to just speak it to him. You have given us a name by which you are to be known through all the generations of history. And we come to you now as those who are so grateful. We thank you for your name. May we hear your voice saying it to us as we go through the week. I am, I am with you, I am, amen.